That's right, my friends. You are back again. Welcome back to another episode of On the Mic with Mike. I am your podcast host, Instructor Mike. From controversial issues that affect us in the criminal justice system to controversial issues that affect us across the nation, both locally and otherwise. I am that controversial person that's going to go there and talk about those issues. You're always going to learn something when you're listening to this podcast, so grab your pens and your paper. You can go on ahead and follow me on Facebook at Mike Brown or on Instructor Mike. You can also go to my YouTube page instructor mike as well and you can subscribe to this podcast we would greatly appreciate it here is another issue that we are going to talk about on on the mic with mike all right welcome back We are now going to have segments in this podcast, Uh, and of the segments that we're going to have in this podcast, one of them is WWMD, What Would Mike Do? Now, I am not going to profess that I am the go-to for all situations tactical. I am humble enough to say that my experience in military and law enforcement and just as a good old American uh, having avoided conflict and having been engaged in certain conflicts uh, and having been successful in those conflicts, I just have my opinion based on my education and an experience, okay? Uh, Even my education and experience as having done the right thing and having been falsely arrested and acquitted of uh, charges. Nothing in connection with my duty as, you know, law enforcement and the military, but these have been civilian situations. So I like to believe humbly that I don't know everything. And I believe like Socrates, that is the best position to be in when you are humble enough to claim that you are still ignorant to a lot of things. I don't know everything, but I know a lot about a little, and I'm willing to share that with you. So in WWMD, uh, I just want to make a preface, you know, that or a disclaimer that I am not a lawyer. I am just a person with a criminal justice degree, a master's degree, and a breadth of, you know, experience operationally to be able to give you my opinion in terms of what I may have done in these given situations and also to ask certain questions based upon my experience in law enforcement investigative wise uh, and even as a a beat officer as a preliminary investigator just certain things that we learn and that we pick up on so we're going to address three specific uh, things one of them being or three specific incidents Uh, one of them being out of Houston Texas with rapper Bun B from uh, the rap group UGK Um, I believe that's where he's from. And this happened on uh, Tuesday, April 23rd. The second incident that we're going to address is an armed robbery uh, suspect and the victim who both fatally shot each other in Chicago on April 18th in the Park Manor neighborhood. And the third incident that we're going to discuss is the would-be carjacker having attempted to carjack a man who was fatally shot in Chicago's loop on April 26, 2019. So let's deal with the local issues uh, in Chicago before we go out of town to Houston, okay? Uh, And if you want to chime in on any of these issues, feel free to uh, 
follow me on Facebook at Mike Brown. Uh, I'll also go live and talk about these issues during that time. Uh, and feel free to comment or I'll post a video on Instructor Mike on YouTube. And feel free to comment by, you know, by the way. So let's talk about the armed robbery uh, situation that occurred on April 18th. And this is from CBS Chicago. You can go to HTTPS colon slash slash Chicago CPS. Uh, cbslocal.com uh, and this is about the armed robber victim fatally shooting each other in the Park Manor neighborhood so uh, an armed robber and his victim shot and killed each other on Thursday morning during a confrontation in the Park Manor neighborhood Mark Miller age 64 was in a home near 68th and St. Lawrence around 10:20 a.m. where 33-year-old Joseph Lewis walked up and pulled out a gun and tried to rob him according to the police and the Cook County Medical Examiner's office. Lewis shot Miller during the robbery attempt and Miller returned fire shooting Lewis in the stomach. <clears throat> Lewis was found in the gangway outside of the home but police say it was unclear if the shooting happened inside or outside now both men were taken to the university of chicago trauma center where they both were pronounced dead two guns were recovered at the scene police said miller had a valid concealed carry license now that's the story let's talk about it okay one it's at 10:33 a.m. okay or 10 20 a.m. uh around 68th and st lawrence now uh i am aware of that neighborhood i grew up around 67th and langley when i was younger okay so i'm i'm familiar with that area one it's very important to keep your situational awareness up now police say it's unclear whether it occurred inside the home or outside the home that being the case, it is important that you still keep your situational awareness up, okay? We talk about Jeff Cooper's color code of situational awareness, the condition white, which in my opinion is the worst condition to be in. That's you not paying attention at all to your surroundings. Maybe you have a worldview that violence only comes to those who surround themselves around violence and you tend to, maybe you have headphones in your ear. Maybe you have a problem that's going on in your life and you're so focused on that problem where you're so focused on other distractions to where you are not paying into what's going on in the immediate area around you this is a fatal mistake because in these in that condition that mental condition you are in a condition where you are not paying attention and th there are i am of the opinion that in in half if not most of the attacks that occur to people that there is typically a sign or some kind of symptom that is present or shows itself before the attack. Now, there are some attacks where it's impossible for you to be able to see that it was coming because these attackers are so good to where they operate in silence. I am of the belief, and of course, this theory was uh, uh, used in uh, the movie Pearl Harbor, where the uh, commander of the Pacific Fleet, uh, I forgot the admiral's name, but he said it. You know, you analysts think you've got it all figured out. A smart enemy attacks you where you think you are safe. I say again, a smart enemy attacks you where you think you are safe. So 
analyze that in your life. Where do you think you're safe and where are you vulnerable? Where can you be attacked? Because any person who is a smart tactician will want to attack quick with smoothness, speed, and violence of action where there is a path of the least resistance, especially given your logistics of how many men and how many people and how many how much ammunition, your communication, your ability to be able to infill, exfil, get in there, do what you have to do, and get out of that situation with minimal or no damage possible. And so when you look at this situation, situation awareness is, is very important. So I don't know anything about Mr. Miller and my condolences go to him and to his family, but I'm curious about his situational awareness. Now, he was a concealed carry licensee, and this is why those of you all who listen to my podcast, you know that I advocate strongly about picking your concealed carry instructor wisely. I'm not going to say this falls on the instructor, but in my experience as a professional firearms instructor who makes his living teaching people and loves the skill set or loves the ability to be able to defend yourself against deadly threats using amongst the many tools a firearm i am an advocate of picking the right instructor who is going to instruct you on how to use that firearm and when to use that firearm appropriately okay some of these firearms instructors are getting just the basic bare bones minimum requirements to become an instructor without any operational theoretical uh, or any actual operational experience to be able to understand whether or not any of the things that they are teaching is working. You know, if it were just a basic pistol course where we're just teaching somebody to put hand on the paint and paint on the paper, then those kinds of basic minimal instructional requirements work. But the implication behind you carrying a concealed license is not that I'm just teaching you how to carry a gun, not that I'm just teaching you how to put holes on that paper, but I'm teaching you about the body dynamics, the physiological, the psychological effects and the things that you need to have to be able to not only engage the deadly threat in that fight at the time where you're able to do so safely, but to also win the fight. Okay. So in looking at this given situation, Mark Miller was third, uh, was uh, in a home near 68th and St. Lawrence around 10.20 a.m. 33-year-old Joseph Lewis walked up and pulled out a gun and tried to rob him. Okay, Walked up and pulled out a gun and tried to rob him. Mr. Miller, rest your soul. God bless your soul. What were you doing to the point where you could not see him coming up toward you? He didn't say he ran up. They said he walked up and pulled out a gun and tried to rob you. What were you doing? Were you paying attention? That would be my first question. Secondly, when you begin to read the story, you hear about Lewis, the assailant, shot Miller during the robbery attempt. Now, that's another thing that uh, intrigues me because... What, if anything, did you do, okay, if you did anything, what, if anything, did you do to make Lewis want to shoot you? I am of the belief that if Miller wanted to kill him, if Miller wanted to kill him, Miller would have just shot him as soon as he walked up on him. So my belief is that 
Miller was not trying. Uh, Lewis was not the assailant, was not trying to kill Miller at first. Miller was uh, Lewis was using the threat of force. The fact that I can kill you with this gun and with this gun is designed to quickly uh, do things to cause your life to end. And Lewis, the assailant, was using the threat of force to get items from Mr. Miller. Now, there's a caveat to this. Even though I may give you everything in my pockets, that doesn't mean that I still won't get shot. That doesn't mean I still can't die. Maybe you decide that you don't want any witnesses after you take my stuff and then you just suddenly decide to shoot me. So there's never a guarantee that if I give you everything in my pocket that you are not going to shoot me. But most people would err on the side of caution, assume that they're probably not going to be shot and they would just give over their items. So what if anything would make the assailant, Mr. Lewis, try to shoot Mr. or actually shoot Mr. Miller during the robbery attempt. Now, as the story continues, Miller returned fire. Okay. Miller returned fire, shooting Lewis in the stomach. Now, I want you all to understand that if you are a concealed carry licensee or a person who carries the gun, I want you all to understand that there is such a thing as a tactical sweet spot. That's what I like to informally call it. If you are at a position of a disadvantage, which Mr. Uh, Miller was definitely at a position of disadvantage, we can argue that he probably was not paying attention to his surroundings where he should have been, or even if he was paying attention to his surroundings. You know, either way it goes, he was still at a tactical disadvantage. Why? Because Mr. Lewis, the assailant, had a gun out already pointed at him trying to rob him. You are at a disadvantage. So the worst thing that you can do when you are at a point of a disadvantage, especially when you have not been really trained, the worst thing you can do is try to reach for your gun in thinking that because you carry that gun, you are definitely going to survive. I want you to understand this. Having a gun levels the playing field, okay? Just like having a basketball on the basketball court levels the playing field. This is the basketball field. I have a gun You or the basketball court. I have a ball. You are here. I am here. The playing field is leveled. But putting a ball in your hand in the right field where it needs to be played doesn't mean you're going to be Michael Jordan. Doesn't mean you're going to be Kobe Bryant. It doesn't mean that you are going to have the skills to be able to operate that ball successfully and be able to shoot the ball where appropriate to gain a successful or a favorable outcome. That having been said, you have some people who carry guns who have false confidence or false courage like the gun is all of a sudden going to empower within you in some comic book like fashion and it's going to uh, inject into you the skills that it is needed for you to be successful with that gun. You don't know if you're going to be successful with that gun or not. So it's probably better to err on the side of caution and just give up the material or give up the, the money or any type of goods that you have with you to be able to hopefully, hopefully, hopefully survive that encounter. And so Mr. Miller was shot first 
and then he pulled his firearm, returning fire at Mr. Lewis. They both shot each other. They both were taken to the same trauma center and they both were pronounced dead. Even if you do everything right, even if you do everything right, there is no guarantee that you will survive that encounter. Even if you pull out that gun and you stop your assailant, there is no guarantee you will survive. And that's one of the things that I teach in my course. In my course, that's one of the things that I teach. Be, no, do. And there are several uh, things that you need to know within that no. You need to know that even though you use that gun, you could still die. Even though you shoot the assailant trying to attack you, who is trying to take your life, there is no guarantee that you will successfully come out of that situation without a bullet in you. This is a definite example of that. It's a definite example of that. Yes, the alarm that you hear in the background, if you even still hear it. It's five o'clock in the morning. So that's why you're hearing that. So if you're hearing this at five in the morning, you wake up. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break and we're going to come back and talk about the next incident in Chicago regarding the carjacking. Don't go anywhere. Come right back. Hey, this commercial break has been brought to you today by Native Girls Pearls, Native Girls Pearls, a U.S. Army veteran and just a mom who always wanted to instill the value and appreciation of hard work and multiple streams of income into her children. Pearl Girls Parties are an interactive experience where they get to interact with their customers and host Facebook Live parties and reveal people's orders online. At Native Girls Pearls, they have a blast with the games, the prizes and the special guest appearances, the giveaways and the plain fun of it all. It's just like hanging out with their awesome friends and making money while doing so. If you've ever been interested in Pearl Girls Parties or ever been interested in a Pearl Party, go on ahead to Native Girls Pearls. Visit them at their Facebook page, Native Girls Pearls. That's nativegirlspearls.com. All right, we're back. We are back. So let's talk about the next incident. Man fatally shoots would-be carjacker in Chicago's loop. Now, this happened on April 26, 2019 at about 3.15 a.m. in the first block of Ida B. Wells Drive in Chicago. So this is according to NBCChicago.com. All right. A man fatally shot another man during what appeared to be an attempted carjacking in Chicago's loop early Friday, according to police. Authorities say the incident took place around 3.15 a.m. in the first block of Ida B. Wells Drive. A 41-year-old man driving a BMW told investigators that a 22-year-old man driving uh, another vehicle okay, had a handgun in his hand and demanded his keys, pushing him into the car. Both men were in the vehicle when the BMW driver, who has a concealed carry license in Illinois, told police that he got his own handgun from inside the car and shot the man in the head. The 22-year-old man was taken to Stroger Hospital where he was pronounced dead, according to Chicago police. The Cook County Medical Examiner's office could not be immediately reached for a comment to confirm the fatality and further details, including his identity. They did not reveal that. The BMW driver was taken into custody for questioning, according to police. It was not immediately clear if there were any charges that would be filed in the case and in the investigation into the incident remained ongoing. Now, 
I can give you an update that he was not charged with the shooting incident in this carjacking. But I've got questions, okay? One, there have been incidents where a would-be carjacker would bump or create some kind of distraction to make a driver stop their vehicle thinking that it's an accident, get outside and uh, check the damage only to be accosted of any items that they may have on them or for them to be carjacked. So this is not unfamiliar territory. And in Chicago, unfortunately, there have been a spike in carjackings and a spike in other violent incidents. But that having been said, let's analyze what happened because something about this story to me doesn't tactically make sense. Now, let me preface my analysis by telling you, obviously, I'm not supportive of criminal activity. It is stupid for you to try to carjack somebody, especially now in Illinois, given that we obviously were the last state in the union to finally get concealed carry. But we have it. And not only do we have concealed carry, we have some of the most stringent restrictions and some of the most stringent requirements to even be able to do so. Now, as a trainer, I love it because I love con constant training. And as one of the more active trainers in Illinois, there are maybe about a lot. There's a lot of instructors uh, who teach concealed carry, but I would argue that maybe there are about two or three, if not four handfuls. So we're talking about of the hundreds of instructors in Illinois, maybe there's about 25 or 30 of us maybe 40, I'll, I'll go you 40, 40 of us that probably teach it full time. Like that's one of the primary things that we do. And we've done that before even uh, being authorized by the state of Illinois to actually be able to teach concealed carry and other firearms courses. Um, so let's look at this tactically. First of all, uh, it's alleged that uh, the, the, the vehicle behind the BMW hit or uh, made impact with the BMW, causing the man to get outside and assess the damage. So the passenger, I don't think it was the driver, but the passenger of the vehicle gets out the car, points a gun at the man, and demands his keys. Now, if it's a newer BMW, or even if it's an older, I don't know. I just know about BMWs. When I went to Germany, that was, I mean, the BMW and the Mercedes-Benz in Germany is like the Chevrolet and the Ford of America. It's a constant, I mean, it's, it's the common car of that country. And so um, if you're already at a position of disadvantage, disadvantage, the passenger got out of the car and approached you with a gun pointed at you <clears throat> and demanded your keys pushing him into the car, okay? Now, the story continues to say both men were in the vehicle, in the vehicle, when the BMW driver, who has a concealed carry license, told the police he got his own gun from inside the car and shot the man in the head. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that, because... If you had a death wish, okay, so obviously the gun was not on his person. The gun was inside the car. So the tactic was to lure him inside of the vehicle for him to get his gun. Now, you wanted the keys, right? If this is a BMW that has a key fob, 
The key is probably on you. Okay. If this is a BMW that has a key fob and the key is inside of the vehicle, why would you knowingly walk yourself towards the vehicle and try to get inside of the vehicle when the key is in the vehicle and you don't have a guarantee that you are going to survive this encounter? Outside of the vehicle, you have more freedom to escape that gunfire. Outside of the vehicle, you have more ability physically to be able to hide behind certain parts of that vehicle where, depending upon where you are, it may give you cover, which is the ability to be able to hide behind something where if a bullet were uh, discharged and aimed in your direction, that material like an engine block would actually not only conceal your location but it would stop that it would have a greater likelihood of stopping that bullet or concealment where whatever you're hiding behind won't stop the bullet but it will mask your location thereby giving you the ability to be able to hide and not be seen for the gunman to point the gun at you and shoot you so why would you knowingly put yourself inside of a vehicle which would limit your ability of mobility, the ability to be able to actually move around. Okay. So I get it. Maybe he wanted to get to his gun inside of the car, but that would be extremely dangerous. And this could have gone horribly wrong if the story is even true. Okay. That could have gone horribly wrong. I want you to understand that we're talking about crimes against persons and crimes against property. The man wasn't trying to kill you right away. If that were the case, you were already at a disadvantage where you were outside of the vehicle. And so if he wanted to just kill you and steal the car, he could have just killed you and stole the car. A, a, a dead person is easier to rob than a live person is. If you're dead, I pretty much know the outcome. You're not going to fight me because your body is motionless. You're dead. Check your pulse. Nothing's happening. You are dead easy to take your stuff okay and who's going to complain well, now we got to wait for the body to be discovered and then we got to wait for the police to do their job for that person to be caught meanwhile you're long and gone okay so under the threat of force we point a gun at you say give us the keys now if this had been some other american car depending upon the make and model the keys are already in the ignition so yeah, I don't need to give you the keys. I don't need to give you the keys when the key is already in the ignition. But with a BMW, it probably was a key fob. And the key fob could either been on your person, the key itself on your person, or it could have been in the car. At which point in time, why go towards the car and try to get your gun when you don't know if you're going to be shot trying to reach for that gun? Okay. Another thing that I find is foolish is for you to leave your gun in your car. Especially if you're in a situation where you're legally authorized to carry that gun on your person. That's why it's called concealed carry. Okay. Now, I guess some people don't want to have their gun on their person. They leave their gun in the car. I think that's foolish, except if you're going to a place where you're not legally authorized to carry the firearm on the inside of the building. Other than that, you have a concealed carry license. Have your firearm on your person. That is what it was designed for it was designed for you to have that to have immediate access to that firearm but in any event he got his own handgun from inside the car and shot the other man in the head i got questions um 
One, is this man even trained? Because if this man was trained, I would argue he probably would not have had the gun in the car. He would have had the gun on his person. He would have given up those keys because after all, it's a car. Yeah, it's an expensive car, but it could be replaced by insurance and you have no guarantee. You can give over the keys and still be shot. You cannot give over the keys and still be shot too. There's no guarantee. And so, I, so when you don't have your life at stake per se, not saying you know that if a person points a gun at you, that you are not in jeopardy of losing your life, but you have to think about certain things. He's demanding the car, give him the car, hope and pray you don't get shot. So where was the tactical sweet spot? You all have heard me talk about that earlier in this podcast. Where was the tactical sweet spot where he was able to grab his gun and shoot the man in the head? I find it hard to believe I find it extremely hard to believe, not saying impossible, okay? Haven't been a detective, anything is possible. Haven't been a, a, a just a creature of life, anything is possible, you know? Uh, but I find it hard to believe that this man who is trying to rob you, who is trying to take your car, and if threatened, right, regardless of legality, would instinctively take your life. I find it hard to believe that this man looked at you with the gun and his eyeballs pointing at you and allowed you to get your gun and allowed himself to be shot in the head in such close proximity, in such close quarters. I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe. Now, I'm not advocating for the person who was trying to carjack the uh, the person, you know, the, the BMW driver. I'm not advocating for him. But this is, again, an analysis of what happened and what not to do. Because if there is no analysis on these incidents, people will tend to believe that, oh, the police didn't charge him. So this is what you should do. This is what you can do. And I think that is a fool's move because what worked for that one person may not work for you. The dynamics may be different. I believe that this could have possibly been a road rage incident gone wrong. That is possible too. And at 3.15 in the morning at Wells on State Street, who is even out there to one witness? Had this happened during the daytime, during downtown, there's a camera phone in every pocket. So you got a bunch of people who could have taken out their phones and they could and they would be the witness to what happened. You got a bunch of different videos, a bunch of different interpretations, a bunch of different this. But at 3.15 a.m., no one's out there. No one is out there. Okay. And it probably doesn't help the guy trying to carjack someone, if that is in fact what happened, to try to carjack someone and then think that people aren't going to look into your background, people aren't going to try to demonize you, okay? I mean, of course, carjacking should be something that's worth demonizing, right? But the story just, to me, doesn't make sense. Where was the tactical sweet spot? That's what I like discovering in these cases. Where was that moment in time where you had that sweet spot where it was defend yourself or continue to be in the suck in this situation where you're about to continuously be victimized where was that tactical sweet spot in my mind i can't find it unless the situation was different than what is being reported okay 
So uh, the BMW driver was taken into custody and uh, questioned. And of course, uh, the police, and I want to say of course as though this was par for the course, but the police did not charge him with any crime. You know, people got to be careful when they say the police don't do their job. I would say that in this instance, the police, and I'm not saying they didn't do their job, I'm not saying they did, but I'm saying this would be one such circumstance where when they do a comparative analysis of the alleged victim in this matter and the alleged suspect in this matter, some cases we can argue that they do compare the victim's history versus the subject's his history. And in this case, the carjacker was stated to have a pretty healthy rap sheet of previous crimes that he had done before. And so it could be the case that in this given situation, why would I advocate or try to dig deeper in terms of try or in the effort to try to determine the truth of the matter behind this situation when this guy was living a life of crime anyway and would have met this result anyway? And since we don't have any witnesses who could likely give light to any other story. And since the evidence may fit the narrative of what the surviving victim said occurred, we're really not going to go into uh, any deeper investigation to determine whether or not the victim is in fact the suspect, right? If that guy who has a lengthy history was really trying to carjack or if it was a case where maybe the guy was texting on the phone and then ran into the back of that car. Or maybe it was a slight tap and maybe the driver of the BMW got extremely angry at the uh, driver who tapped in the back of his expensive vehicle and an argument ensued. And in the course of that argument a gun was brandished and someone was shot in the head. That could be a theory too. But what's the motivation to continue to investigate to discover the veracity or the truthfulness of what really, what really went down? What does the evidence show? Where was the tactical sweet spot where at a point of disadvantage, somehow the alleged victim or the victim in this matter was able to find that sweet spot and capitalize with great bravery in that sweet spot to be able to overcome that deadly threat? That's the question that I have here. So what would Mike do? I don't even know if the situation is true, but I'm going to tell you this. If I'm about to be carjacked or if I'm being carjacked, I'm just going to give him the car. First of all, insurance, even though your family may benefit from that insurance money, it still won't bring you back. You are irreplaceable. That car is replaceable. Give them the car, especially if you're at a point of disadvantage, right? I love my rear view mirror. I love my side mirrors. I try the best that I can to maintain a 360 degree eyeball most of the time when I am operating that vehicle. We get distracted. Kids in the car, family members in the car, conversations you're having in the car. You should try, try, try as best as you can not to be a distracted driver. But let's be real. We do have moments of distraction. So try as best you can to minimize the distractions. Teach your family members about keeping the eyeball. Teach yourself about when you approach the intersection, don't uh, park, don't 
move your vehicle to the outside lane closest to the curb, move it to the inside lane, and then make sure that you are able to see the tires of the rear of the vehicle that's in front of you. Why? You want to be able to have enough space to be able to make evasive maneuvers in the event someone approaches you with the intent to try to jack your car. You want to be able to try to get out of that jam if that tactical sweet spot presents itself for you to be able to do so. If they approach the car and they have a gun pointed at you and they ask for you to get out of the car, get out the doggone car, give them the keys. Okay. Now, of course, this may depend on what you have on the inside of the vehicle. You know, you may be at a disadvantage. If they kill you, they still get what's inside the vehicle, including your family members. So you might want to get out of the car and practice what to do in the event that person gets inside of the car, because now you're not defending property. You're defending the lives therein. Okay. It's all about getting training. There is no one size fits all tactic or technique. The tactics vary, but with the variability of the outcomes should be the flexibility in mobility and the ability to be able to choose multiple options from within that tactical knowledge toolbox. Okay. Uh, and if the sweet spot prevents or presents itself for you to be able to capitalize on the uh, suspect or the, or the assailant being distracted, and you have the ability and the skill to be able to do so. Or maybe you just have a death wish. I don't know. In order for you to be able to capitalize on that sweet spot, you got to know what to do and when to do it. Okay. It's not just the tool. The tool is the tool. It's just the weapon. Okay. Your brain and skills and ability to be able to survive that encounter along with that tool right? That's the weapon. And together you are a weapon system. A system is a thing. It's, it's a, it's a many parts, many parts that are working in concert to achieve an objective. In this case, that objective should be positive, And that is the defense of self and family in order to survive. Okay. We're going to take another commercial break and we will be right back with our last analysis of the Bunby incident in Houston, Texas. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Or better yet, go somewhere, use a restroom, grab something to drink, come back and see me. This program is sponsored by Security Training Concepts. That's Security Training Concepts. From unarmed and armed security training to get your fingerprinting and your permanent employee registration card in the state of Illinois, licensed security officers have to be trained according to the Department of Financial and Professional Regulation Standards. Security Training Concepts is the place to go for your training. We also specialize in Illinois concealed carry classes, fingerprinting for a variety of different reasons from medical marijuana to licensed practical nursing or registered nursing. Just the tips fingerprints is also housed within security training concepts. Make sure you visit them at Security Training Concepts, 455 West 79th Street by Normal Avenue in Chicago, 773-372-3929, or visit them on the web at MikeBrownsClass.com. Security Training Concepts, no excuses, just solutions. Why pay more? All right, welcome back. So we're analyzing the last uh, incident in uh, this segment of WWMD, what would Mike do? So let's get out of Chicago. Let's take a flight all the way to Houston, Texas. And this is rapper Bun B, according uh, of the UGK uh, rap group. Uh, and this happened on Thursday, Tuesday, April 23rd at 545 p.m. And this is according to people.com. So 
uh, Bunby exchanged gunfire with an intruder who attempted to rob his home and a 20 year old suspect is now in custody. So rapper Bunby, whose real name is Bernard Freeman, exchanged gunfire with an armed intruder who was trying to steal a car from his home. People confirms. Jody Silva, a public information officer with the Houston Police Department, tells People that approximately 5.45 p.m. on Tuesday, April 23rd, the 46-year-old rapper's wife, Queenie, whose real name is Angela Walls, heard a knock on the door. Bunby's attorney, Charles Adams, says Queenie opened the door, expecting it to be the mailman delivering an Amazon package. When she went to answer the knock, there was a male suspect who forced his way inside, Silva says. He was armed and demanded property. He attempted to rob them. So she pointed him in the direction of the garage and told him to take the car. Now, Bun B was upstairs and heard the commotion. He comes downstairs with a gun and confronts the intruder in the garage. The intruder is inside of their vehicle. The intruder and the suspect, or the intruder suspect and Bun B, exchange gunfire, and the suspect flees on foot. Adams says that the couple lives in a gated community and that their home features second floor living, meaning that they only have an attached garage, a bathroom and a bedroom in the foyer on the first floor, but a living room and dining room and kitchen on the second floor. So when the intruder entered the home, Adams says Queenie's first thought was that he was there to kill her husband, who's well known as one half of the rap duo UGK or Underground Kings and for hits like Riding Dirty. She tells her husband not to come downstairs, Adams says. She yells, don't come down, bun, don't come down, bun. And then when she yells, bun, it registers on his face and startles him. Everyone's belief is that this was not a targeted attack. They just gotten home 15 minutes earlier, so they could have easily got uh, them going into the garage as opposed to waiting. Now, uh, he then explains that the intruder got inside of the vehicle but couldn't figure out how to start it. So Bun B had enough time to arm himself and run downstairs. Bun runs downstairs and they engage in a gun battle, according to his attorney, Adams. And then they have a physical altercation after he threw the gun and Bun was out of bullets. The whole time he's fully masked, so Bun can't identify him. I don't know how he got the strength of mind or the character, but he went and got more bullets and got in the car and went looking for the guy and found him on the roadway. Instead of running him over or shooting him, he rationally pulls over and at gunpoint orders the man to unmask himself so that he can identify him and then lets the guy run off and contacts the police. All right, so let, 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 let's talk about this. Now, people were like, yay, 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 yay. Bun B did a great job. <sighs> okay. I agree in part and I disagree in part. Let's talk about it from the beginning, okay? Now, Bun B, who is of the rap duo Underground Kings, I'm going to go on ahead and go on a limb and state that Bun B is not Alfonso Ribeiro from Silver Spoons growing up in a Silver Spoon-like home. I'm going to go on ahead and state that maybe, just maybe, he is probably from the hood. Let, let's just go on ahead and put it out there. Let's just keep it real. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's from the hood. 
Now, I want to tell you, having been a person that resides in the hood, resided in the hood, resided in good communities, I've been in different states, I've been in different countries, I will tell you this. Sometimes when you get in different environments for some people, some people drop the ball. Some people drop the ball and when they drop the ball, they tend to actually um they tend to actually drop the ball in terms of their situational awareness. When you are living in the hood and you're always under the constant fear of violence or under the constant fear of crime, your mindset in terms of situational awareness for some people living in the hood, if not half, if not most, tends to be you always want to keep your awareness up because it could happen at any given time, at any given place. And by it, I mean the violence, the, the being shot, you know, things like that. It could happen at any given time. So let's analyze this situation. First of all, they live in a gated community. So is it possible that their situational awareness that they would have had if they were living in a violent area was changed when they moved to the gated community? Their home that features second floor living, the fact that like the Jeffersons, we're moving on up. We don't have to live with with the people that do the negative things. And we don't have to live in an area where there's a life of crime and, and, and we're doing better for ourselves now. Is it possible? Because Queenie heard a knock on the door and Queenie, without any asking, without any prying, without any looking, just Open the door expecting it to be a mailman delivering an Amazon package. I've said it before and I will say it again. Even though this doesn't appear to be a targeted attack, it appears to be random, right? Even though that is the case, a smart enemy will attack you where you think you are safe. One, if I'm expecting a package, one, I'm going to say, who is it? Right. Two, I'm going to look outside of the peephole if there is a peephole and, and there's no excuse not to have devices on the outside that would help you identify who's on the outside of that door. You got the ring device. I think that's on Amazon, too, uh, where, you know, you have a camera that's able to not only show you on the inside and on your smartphone and on a tablet of your choosing or, you know, depending upon the device's uh, connectivity or usability. You know, it, it's it's possible for you to be able to have the eyeball and record who's on the outside to protect the inside of your home. But that's not what happened here. And it was never suggested that there was not a peephole. So she just opened the door expecting the mailman to be delivering a package. That had been the second thing that I would have been looking for outside of that peephole, outside of that window. What, the place where you live has no windows whatsoever? You know, you have you don't see a delivery truck, even if the delivery truck is down the street, which would make no sense because we're delivering a package. Right. You don't see a delivery truck. You, you don't see a guy outside the door with a package. If the guy didn't have a package in his hand, that would be a clue. This is not a delivery. You know, come on. You got to pay attention to certain things. So when you you know, she said um, or it was said. When she went to answer the knock, there was a male suspect who forced his way inside. He only forced his way inside because he had a gun and pushed 
the door that you allow to be opened. There's no suggestion of any kind of forcible entry beyond that. It wasn't a door kick. It wasn't a window break. You gave him the opportunity to be able to easily enter inside when you dropped the ball of asking the question simply, who is this? When you fail to have some kind of device to look on the outside, I guarantee you on their door now they got a peephole. And if they didn't have a peephole and if they did have a peephole before and they didn't use it, they got to be feeling kind of special right now. OK, so he comes inside and he has the gun and asks for belongings. I think that Queenie, first of all, I, I'm, I'm curious about Queenie. Now, I don't know anything about her. I really didn't even know anything about Bun B, you know, uh, and those who do. Hey, great. Good for you guys. But I got a question. Um, if this were the hood, right, you said it yourself or your attorney said it himself that Adams says Queenie's first thought was that he was there to kill her husband, who's well known as the one half of the rap duo UGK and for hits like Riding Dirty. So if you think that there are going to be some people, arguably from his past, who would have a motive to desire to kill him, why are you easily opening doors? Why aren't you prepared to use a gun in defense of not only yourself, but in defense of your husband? And for Bun B, if you are trained in the use of a pistol, why isn't she trained? And if she is trained, why are you all not continuing to operate in the mentality that it could happen here? It's the question that I have. And I think it's extremely sexist to be the man. And I'm not saying that's the case for Bun B, but I think it's extremely sexist if a man believes that he is the only one who should handle a gun. If he believes that he's the only one who should defend the property, defend himself. Not saying that Bun B felt this way. I'm not saying that at all. But stories like these have implications behind it. Assumptions. And while we are not while we are free to make our choices, whatever we choose to do, we are not free from the assumptions that could come from such situations, the implications that could be implied or the inferences that could be drawn from certain situations that took place or that take place. Okay, so when she went to answer the knock, there was a male suspect who forced his way inside. He was armed and he demanded property and he attempted to rob them. So at, at, at best, we got a forcible felony taking place. We have a home invasion. Textbook definition of home invasion is unlawful entry, you know, be it forced or otherwise. And they're inside committing a felony. OK, having the intention to commit a felony. OK, um, and especially in this case, a forcible felony. Okay. So she pointed him in the direction of the garage and told him to take the car. Now, Bun B was upstairs. He heard the commotion. He came down with a gun and in front of the intruder in the garage and the intruder is inside of their vehicle. Now there's no mention that Queenie is in the garage. We can assume that the garage is an attached garage to the living structure. OK, the intruder is inside of the vehicle and the intruder and uh, Bun B exchange gunfire. OK, now, according to other reports, the intruder and the suspect or the intruder slash suspect was shot in the shoulder. What kind of gun did you have and what kind of rounds did you have? Not saying you're supposed to have some windshield penetrating rounds, but the question becomes Bun. 
what are you defending? If Queenie is still inside of the home and the intruder went to the car. Now, granted, this is in Texas. Texas may have the law that says you can defend your property. You can defend your your life, what it, or your life, obviously, but your property. That may be the case. But I ask you this. Would we still be hailing Bun B as a hero if in the exchange of gunfire between Bun B and this MFer, you get it, who should not be inside of their place? If Bun B was hit and subsequently died, would Queenie still have the opinion that the shooting was worth it? Would she have changed her ideal or idea? or thought, or speech, to state, fighting over that car wasn't worth it. I'd rather have you, bun, and we can get another car, but I don't have you anymore, and I got a damaged car, damaged by gunfire. This is the only memory I have of you with this situation, bun, is this vehicle. Is the vehicle that worth exchanging gunfire? I would argue that, unfortunately, we give value to property way more than life. And I want to say we as a whole, but I will say that there are some people, if not half, that place more value in replaceable property or property that may not be yours in the event of security officers who take unnecessary or needless actions towards protecting the property of the people they work for instead of understanding everything in that store is insured except you. Everything is that everything in that house is replaceable. Even a house that's burned to the ground can be rebuilt, but you can't be resurrected. So he comes down with a gun and confronts the intruder in the garage. They exchange gunfire and the suspect flees on foot. Now, he goes back upstairs or someplace, wherever, and gets more bullets, right? And the guy is fully masked so Bun can't identify him. He supposedly got more bullets and got in his car and went looking for the guy, found him on the roadway, didn't run him over, didn't shoot him. OK, good job. Good job. Right. Because apparently maybe the guy didn't have the gun, but he pulls over at gunpoint and orders the mask, the man to unmask himself so he can identify him and then lets the guy run off and contacts police. I'm not going to say he did anything bad there because, of course, I'm a trained po former police officer, so I might have taken him into custody, but. Maybe you don't have handcuffs or anything like that on you. So what would you be taking him into custody with? You know, I can argue that he did good there. Maybe, maybe not. Right. But we can argue that he did good there because you don't have any instruments to secure his hands. So let him run off. Contact police. And the guy would, you know, uh, according to that, we show Bun B a photo array. Uh, I'm sorry. Silva says later on that day, the suspect showed up at an area hospital with a gunshot wound to the shoulder. We showed Bun B an array of uh, suspects, a photo array, and he positively picks out the suspect, confirming that the suspect is in custody. Uh, 20 year old DeMonte Jackson. Jackson is charged with two counts of aggravated robbery and one count of burglary of a habitation. OK, uh, Bun B will likely not face any repercussions in this case. And they're going to do a complete investigation and forward it to the D.A 
DA's office and what they'll do is they'll put the case like that to the grand jury to determine whether or not to indict the homeowner. 90% of the time, nobody is ever indicted. Okay, I'm going to continue to read this and then we'll end uh, this segment with, you know, the last part of what would Mike do? I don't think they'll take it to the grand jury. This is Texas, right? We don't have to register our guns. And as long as we lawfully own them, you know, Bun B has no criminal history. He's an upstanding citizen. He and his wife are both trained with firearms and he defended his home. He defended his wife and he defended himself. All of the evidence supports that the guy did shoot his gun at Bun. They recovered shell casings and it was an actual gun battle, but we don't have any concerns. We know he didn't do anything wrong and that this was confirmed by our conversation with the Harris County District Attorney's Office. Despite the emotional trauma and an injury to Queenie's arm where she was grabbed forcefully by the intruder, Adams is just thankful that everyone came out alive. It was a horrible situation, but the silver lining is that they both know they love each other now and that they would risk their lives for each other. Now, this is a story that has a heartwarming ending, but this is a story where there's a lot of lesson. There are a lot of lessons in this story. This story is one where there is there are preventative measures that could have been used that were not. If you're both trained in firearms and you're expecting a package, did you allow your mindset of where you live to believe that while violence may be frequent in urban communities, that it can't happen to you? Can't drop the ball on things like this. You can't. And then you're both trained with firearms. Mm. What kind of rounds do you have? Were your rounds able to penetrate the windshield? You discharged all of your, your, your rounds, your bullets at this subject or intruder. And you only hit him in the shoulder. I'm not saying I would have been a better shot. I would have been a worse shot under stress. I'm not saying that I wasn't going to hit him, you know, the places besides, besides the shoulder, too. Sometimes you could be very well trained and hit a person where you didn't intend on hitting them. There are a lot of variabilities and a lot of dynamics in this given situation. But that's just like pulling out a hammer and trying to hit the nail on the wall just to take that hammer and hit everything else but the nail. What kind of training are you doing? Are you training hard for the day will come as the former vice president or current vice president of the Illinois Tactical Officers Association, Edward Moan, would say? <sighs> Jeff Chudwin, and I'll end with this. Jeff Chudwin, noted firearms instructor, Attorney and former chief of police of Olympia Fields in Illinois said it best. The military trains and trains and trains for wars they may never fight. Police fight wars every day and rarely train. And I would add to that the caveat or add to that an addendum that civilians, depending upon which area we can argue even by race, controversial thing people may not want to talk about. But the racial aspect when it comes down to firearms training, I can tell you as an active firearms instructor who's trained hundreds, if not thousands, or actually trained thousands of people, mostly black, there is a difference between the type of firearms training that 
white people, black people, Hispanics, Asians, the attitude towards firearms training varies. It's not enough to just put hand on the paint and paint on the paper. What kind of firearms training did they go through? Your home can be the best area for you to learn certain things regarding firearms. Train hard for the day will come. That's it. We'll be back with another episode. Just subscribe to this podcast and I'll see you on the next episode of On the Mic with Mike.